Welcome to Pushing Forward with Alicia, a podcast that gives disability a voice. Each week, we will explore topics like confidence, ambition, resilience, and finding success against all odds. We are creating a collective community that believes that all things are possible for all people. Open hearts, clear paths, let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia and I'm super excited to have some time and space with you again today. We have a very exciting guest that I'm so excited to introduce to you to. Her name is Ryan Mason. She is an amazing powerhouse woman. She is a disability advocate. She's a multi-specialty registered nurse. We want to definitely hear all about that, Ryan. She's a proud member of the LGBTQIA plus community. She's a keynote speaker, a model, an adaptive athlete, a sexuality educator, and a self-proclaimed loudmouth Southern Belle. I love that. Can you paint uh, the beautiful picture to our listeners about who you are and maybe a little bit about your disability, whatever you're comfortable with? Yes. First of all, thank you for having me. It is uh, just a pleasure. And um, like you said, my name's Ryan. I go by Rye sometimes. Um, I uh, had undiagnosed ADHD until I was 30. So I have a lot of interests, as you can tell. (laughs) Um, I uh, I am a wheelchair user. Um, I was diagnosed with my disability, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or EDS for short, when I was 16 years old. And for those of you who don't know, EDS is a genetic condition that causes all of the collagen in my body that my body creates to be too stretchy or too lax. And your collagen makes up pretty much everything, your muscles, your skin, your joint capsules, your organs. And with my specific type of EDS, the classical type, um, my organs are also affected by this. I began to lose my mobility, I guess in college, I started kind of walking with a cane. Sometimes one of my hips that used to be a party trick, where I could dislocate on command, started dislocating every time I would take a step just because that joint capsule had stretched out over time. I transitioned over to forearm crutches and then eventually a wheelchair about five or six years ago now. I was concurrently working as a registered nurse during all of that goodness. So it was definitely a giant change in my life. And um, I had already kind of made the platform Chronically Rye. I actually created it uh, back in 2017 because um, it wasn't an advocacy platform at all. I uh, started it because I knew They told me when I was diagnosed when I was 16 that I would eventually end up in a wheelchair. And so I knew that was coming down the pipes, but I had, you know, family that I didn't see very often that I wanted it not to be such a shock when they saw me like at Christmas or something in a chair. So I was like, well, we'll start an Instagram and just kind of like talk about what's going on as I was slowly kind of losing my mobility. And uh, it just blew up into what it is today. And I just could have never in a million years guessed. I mean, when I was diagnosed, I didn't know a single other person in the universe with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And I think I knew one wheelchair user at all my 6,000 person small town. So getting to be the person that I needed when I was newly diagnosed is kind of what drives me to continue keeping the social media platform up and continue doing all these things outside of my full-time job because it just, that's my passion and I just love it. (laughs) I love it. And your platform is just so positive. And I think it's really 
interesting what you just said about you were diagnosed and it was your way of easing other people into it. And I kind of have that same inclination in my life to try to make it easier on other people or ease them into it. So I think that that's really, that was an interesting outlet for you. What has been more difficult? Has it been the internal pieces of your disability or the external? I Um, think it it depends on the day. (laughs) I started working in healthcare when I was 16, around the same time I was diagnosed as a volunteer EMT. And I continued doing that and working in emergency medicine all the way through nursing school. And then when I graduated from nursing school, I started in the ER. I loved the ER. I loved trauma. I loved getting to be that kind of calm presence for somebody who is, you know, it's just another day at work for me, but for them, it's very possibly the worst day of their lives. And so I was actually training to become a flight nurse when I started to become more reliant on mobility aids. And so I was at kind of like the height of my career. And so I said, well, I'm just going to kind of ease myself into it. I got a job that was still in the hospital as a case manager. Um, hilarious enough, what I do now. And I kind of, I said, well, I'll just keep a part-time spot in the ER. So I didn't have to rip that bandaid off all at once. But then due to red tape, there were reasons that I wasn't able to return to that job. And so it was kind of all ripped away at once. And this is the second time in my life where what I was seeing as my career goal or my dream was what I thought taken away from me by my disability. Growing up, I wanted to be a dancer. I had no desire to do anything medical at all. I was like a singer, actor, dancer, theater kid. And about the time I was diagnosed, that's when they were kind of saying, you know, this that's not something that you can do long term. And I had to start my whole life over at, you know, what, 18 after having all of these dreams for so long. And so for that to kind of be like the second time that it had happened to me in my life, that was really, really difficult to cope with. And I did not cope well. Um, And so I started talking about, you know, grief reactions and how nobody really tells you that that loss of body autonomy and that loss of whatever it may be due to your disability, it is a grieving process. It is something that you lose and that you will have grief reactions to. And this was again, you know, some another time in my life where I could kind of go, wait a minute, nobody told me this. I'm going to talk about it on the internet and I bet somebody else needs to hear about this. <laughs> That's awesome. You had this video a few weeks ago where you were talking about your nursing position and I don't know where you were in your path there, but it was right after I think you became a wheelchair user and and it was thought that you would have been a liability in the position that you were in and you had to advocate for to continue that position or something along those lines. I was working as a case manager. And so it was a really, really good place for me as somebody who was a newer wheelchair user because I wasn't coping well with my own disability, but my presence in the hospital made such an impact on my patients. And it was just so caught up in my own world. I wasn't even thinking how poignant it would be to have a nurse roll into your room um, to be the one setting up your medical equipment. Obviously, someone that knows what it's like to be in that bed, knows what it's like to go through this whole process. And when you're laying there in that bed, you don't understand any of it. So knowing that it's someone who has gone through it really made a difference to my patients and therefore made a huge difference to me and how I was kind of seeing myself at that time in my life as a brand new chair user. But I did this all right before COVID. So it was maybe two years before COVID hit and then COVID hit and I was working as a case manager on the COVID floor 
I mean, it was the stuff that I will never forget was working on the floor through COVID. Um, but at that time, we were so short staffed. All of the hospitals were so overrun. And the doctors that I worked with had always joked, you know, Ryan, why don't you go back to bedside nursing? Like you would be a great bedside nurse. You'd be such an advocate. Like, why don't you go back? I'm looking at them like they're crazy. I'm like, how many bedside nurses and chairs do you know? First of all, no one is going to hire me. Like in the world of nursing and healthcare in general, um, it's a known stigma that like if you hurt your foot or something and you require like a short term, a crutch or a cane, they will not allow you to work on the floor. It is a liability to them. And so I remembered going through this while I was ambulatory and I was like, I don't know if I know how to do this, but I was like, all right. Let's see. They had a call for help on the floor one day. And it was just, they just needed extra hands to help turn patients, take vital signs, little kind of like nursing assistant tasks. And I said, all right, let me do one of these shifts just to see what I'm still capable of. Because with my disability, I can stand for short periods of time. I just can't ambulate long distances. I need my chair to get me around the hospital. If I need to stand up in a patient's room for a short period of time, I can do that. So I took this shift and I was actually way more capable than I thought I was. Um, So I went to the completely other side of the spectrum and I interviewed for a job on a postpartum unit. They were willing to give it a shot. And one of the infamous lines was the the boss that I had at that time was just like, I mean, if you've been a nurse for a long time, you know how to do this stuff. If you say you can do this job, then I believe you. And you're the perfect height to catch babies. The rest was history. I worked that job as a bedside postpartum nurse and um, a nursery nurse for a year. And by the time I left that hospital, I was the charge nurse of the floor. That's the story of advocating for yourself to push people to try. That is like one of the biggest challenges I think in the workplace right now is we're just like stuck in this box of no, you can't have a crutch. That's a liability to like adapting and allowing people to be who they are in the way that they are. So, wow. And that is translated to where you are today. I moved to um, San Diego last summer, um, a year ago this month, had some struggles getting my license transferred. So the first job that I got was an elementary school nurse. So I did that for about six or seven months when I first moved here. And um, that was incredible because it was so much more accessible than working in the hospitals, which is hilarious to me. After kind of a year straight of having to, not as much to my old hospital, but having to defend myself and my abilities to my patients every single day and constantly having to, you know, kind of calm everyone around me. It was a really nice reprieve to just kind of do my job and no one really batted an eye at the chair. But then I was offered another case management position and I, the money was too good. I said, okay, all right, I'll go back to it. But I didn't really think about the difference between case managing at home. I was in a smaller hospital. I wasn't getting um, trauma patients, things like that. And my first day in my new hospital in San Diego, I rolled onto the unit and realized that the unit that they put me on gets a lot of brand new amputees, brand new spinal cord injuries, brand new strokes, the first introduction to mobility aids, way more than I did back East. Mm. And it been like the coolest kind of like full circle moment for me, because now, you know, I've been doing this in a chair, working at different hospitals for long enough that I'm comfortable in my abilities. I know how to adapt my surroundings. So that's cool for me. And then I remember just last week I had a patient 
he was pushing around with physical therapy and he's a new amputee. And I pushed over next to him and I was like, Hey, nice wheels. You know, you want to race? Like what's going on? He starts talking to me and opens up a little bit. And he says, you know, I just, it's just, this sucks so much. Like I always wanted to be a police officer. I said, so why, why can't you be a police officer? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, I'm a nurse. So I got a friend that's an amputee. It's a firefighter. And I know quite a few police officers that are amputees. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility at all. But these people are brand new to the, the disability community. They could not possibly know everything that's out there for them. And so for me to be able to go in there and, you know, tell them about adaptive athletics or tell them about just what my life is like, as well as being able to use my background, my nursing degree and my career to get them the appropriate equipment that they need because of life experience, not just the crappy stuff that they give you right out of the hospital. The more years I do this, the less pushback I seem to get. And I like to think that that is the trend for disability employment. I hope that that is the trend for disability employment. And I think the more and more voices of change are starting to come out and we're starting to see it more. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Pushing Forward with Alicia. Thanks for listening today. If you have an episode idea, know someone I should interview, or have a story that needs to be told, reach out to me at aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on podcasts. Welcome back to Pushing Forward. I'm Alicia. We have got Ryan Mason. She is an amazing powerhouse woman. She's a keynote speaker, a model, an adaptive athlete. Do you do advocacy work? Back in Virginia, I was a Miss Wilshire, Virginia for two years during COVID. And so I traveled all over the state and my main platform was advocating for disabled employment and healthcare. So I did a lot of public speaking back then. I got to be um, one of the coolest things I ever got to do. I was the keynote speaker for the National Institute of Health for their Disability Employment Month. I love that you just led into you being Miss Wheelchair. I ran for Miss Wheelchair California. I won Miss Congeniality. I didn't win. Congeniality. That's okay. Um, but I did, I ran for literally my, I was like, if I get this, like, I really want to be, it was maybe five years ago that I ran and like, that would be a great platform to start to leverage speaking. I'll have something that I could, you know, so I love it that you use that platform to, to leverage what you're doing. And can we talk about advocacy? Absolutely. I um feel like, yeah, I, this is my jam. <laughs> when I first became a case manager after leaving bedside nursing, I was so just like, this is not what I want to do. I do not want to work with insurance companies. I do not want to have to deal with this all the time. And the longer that I did it, the more I was like, wait a minute this education and learning this side and learning what things are covered and not covered and kind of figuring out the why behind the 4 million denials you get every time you're trying to apply for any kind of medical equipment um, has helped me so much because then I'm able to kind of break it down and present it in a way that's easier for me to understand and therefore easier for my followers to understand. Um, One of the examples was I helped place patients in skilled nursing facilities and nursing homes and rehabilitation units and finding out that if you were a patient in a skilled nursing facility, whether it was a long-term bed or short-term or um, 
in any kind of a inpatient facility that wasn't a rehab center, Medicare was denying your ability to get a personalized wheelchair. They're saying, oh, you're in a facility. You don't need that. You'll use the facility's equipment. And so I got to advocate alongside United Spinal and actually go to the court systems and speak about, you know, and getting to kind of talk from those two sides of my life and getting to speak not only as a wheelchair user, but as somebody who is providing these wheelchairs and seeing these patients on a daily basis and seeing them come back as readmissions into the hospital with horrible wounds because they're not in appropriate medical equipment. And it was just incredibly eye-opening for me. And it allowed me to kind of grow up a little bit and get over the, oh, I'm not a trauma nurse anymore and realize like how much we need people kind of on the backside of these things, learning these insurance tips and tricks and being able to kind of work your way through the system, um, saving the most money and getting the most care for my patients. Well, and I think that speaks to kind of like how disabled people get put into a one lump sum, right? Like it's a one fit size fits all for all of us. And the facts are, is that disability is so diverse that it's really very individual on every case on the needs of what we need. And it, it absolutely has to be custom to fit each one of our bodies, whether it's a wheelchair or or any other device or any other accessibility tool. And so I think there's some disparities from a consumer buying insurance. It doesn't say, oh, if you're a wheelchair user, make sure you're checking this box and getting this in I mean, the insurance that I have right now, it doesn't even cover durable medical. And I'm afraid right now, like under the Affordable Care Act, there's no pre-existing, but I don't trust that there won't be again, you know? And so when you're in a position like we are and you need these things, I'm always thinking, I mean, this like literally can affect independence, mobility, health, medicine, all of it. And so I think this topic that you are advocating for is so important. Thank you. How do we, how do things get better? What do we need? Continued advocacy. Um, We need more people who are kind of willing to be just like us to push through barriers and to be the first person and be there to show up and to show that this community is not going anywhere. We are employable. We are, we aren't just going to sit in a corner anymore. We're not just going to sit in our homes, you know, unless we want to. (laughs) There are so many possibilities. And the more of us that are kind of out there doing this and fighting this fight, the I think the more normalized it becomes. And I hope, but the joke I always make is, you know, I'm going to blaze a freaking rainbow path filled with glitter all the way through this so that the people behind me don't have to do that and don't have to be this crazy, like bright target kind of thing. You know, I want to be the one that you guys remember when you have two or three wheelchair users coming to apply for jobs. And you can think back and say, oh, no, wait a minute, Ryan did it. So why can't we give this one a shot? And then I hope that like down the line, it just becomes so much more normalized to see people with visible disabilities working in whatever field they do so choose, because there are so few fields that are adaptable. It's just the people in them don't always know how to adapt the field. Uh, my number one thing I get would get asked when I was working bedside was, well, one, don't your coworkers hate having to pick up all your slack for me? Because I said, you know, no, I was very selective about the type of nursing that I went into so that no one would have to pick up any slack at all. The only thing that I would not do 
um, was ambulate. I would not walk new C-section patients if they seemed fairly unstable. And every single time I had one, someone else on my unit would do that for me and I would do something else for them. Other than that, the only other adaptation that I ended up needing was a office chair that could be pumped up high because um, I had trouble seeing over into the bassinets to draw blood on the babies. That was it. And every single NICU bed is staffed with a um, raising office chair for the nurses to be able to work on the NICU babies. It was just this huge rigmarole to hire a wheelchair user, but the actual like employment and the time that I spent there, I was just like anybody else. (laughs) I love what you just said about the collaboration. Sometimes I would need help doing X and on the flip side, somebody else would need help doing other things. And that is absolutely how inclusion in the workplace works is it's collaborative and collective and ongoing. And it's always an opportunity to practice and find a path forward. So, I mean, I think you are breaking down barriers and I'm really inspired by your story. It's so good. We're just now starting to see women in the workforce that have disabilities that are leading. So when I get to meet somebody like you, it makes me feel like I've got my peers and my people that get to fight, you know, understand like what, and then, and then have the opportunities to see the impact, which is so freaking cool. Like, tell us about your platform. How do we find you? Yes, absolutely. I'm very easy to find out on the interwebs. If you Google chronically RY, chronically RY, um, I am on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, lots of videos about advocacy. We do car ride conversations. We have a video series called Dildos and Dislocations that is all about sexuality and the disability community, anything and everything you could possibly imagine. And also just a really cool place if you want to come, vent, get some advice. Uh, My inbox is always open and I'm always responding to my followers because that's what it's all about. That's what I'm here for. Y'all are my people and I would not be in this place or have anything to advocate for if it wasn't for our community. I love to wrap up the show with a pushing forward little inspiration, motto, something you live by, something that's going to inspire our audience to be better allies for diversity and disability and inclusion and all of that. Like, do you have a little nugget? Absolutely. So uh, something that people never, ever guess about me is when I was growing up, I was actually very shy in school and everything. I was very, very shy and quiet. And so at a younger age, I think I was in middle school or so, um, I saw this quote and um, the quote was just, fear is temporary, regret is forever. I said, you know, I want to stop being so scared. I want to stop being so shy, like this little kid. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to start saying yes to everything that scares me. And as my life has progressed, I've kind of always just kept that motto in the back of my head. It's just, life is really, really short. And I refuse to not milk every single last drop out of it that I got, no matter if I have to shove my way in there with our four wheels. I love it. Ryan, thank you so much. Thanks for everybody out there. We're going to share all Ryan's information in the show notes. This is Pushing Forward with Alicia. And that is how we roll. If you're an employer who would like to learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace, lessons on ableism, and how accessibility can drive innovation in your company, 
please check out my micro training series at aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on micro learning.